from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. So glad that you have tuned in. Well, coming up, will the public buy what the left is selling as it pertains to abortion? There have been calls for the president to declare a national health crisis in an effort to federalize abortion. Vice President Kamala Harris on CNN yesterday is a part of that choir, stating that the overturn of Roe is a crisis for everyone. When we think about it, everyone has something at risk on this. First of all, if you are a parent of sons, do think about what this means for the life of your son and what that will mean in terms of the choices he will have. Not quite sure I can figure that one out. While the administration is considering all their options to protect the left sacrament of abortion, the president appears to realize that now the courts are no longer doing their bidding. They will have to resort to the same means conservatives have used, elections. We need to restore the protections of Roe as law of the land. We need to elect officials who will do that. This fall, Roe is on the ballot. You know what? I could not agree more. Pro-life voters will be looking at down-ballot races through pro-life lenses as to whether or not those candidates will uphold the law protecting life. Yes, life will be on the ballot. We'll discuss the actions the Biden administration is considering taking to circumvent the states and how those efforts can be countered with Montana Senator Steve Daines, founder and chairman of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus, in just a moment. And 22 blue state attorneys general have said they will fight the court ruling as they are committed to, quote, supporting and expanding access to abortion, end quote. We're also investing $125 million in expanding access to reproductive health care and abortion throughout the state of California, including preparing for those who are in states where uh, abortion is now banned to come to California uh, to seek their right to reproductive health care. So uh, we've been very active, very busy, expanding and doubling down on access to an abortion and to reproductive health care. That was the California Attorney General Rob Bonta. Uh, it's, it's amazing uh, getting into abortion tourism. I mean, how, how committed to death, to a culture of death, can you be? I think we're going to find out. Democrat county prosecutors in red states are also pledging not to enforce the law. We here in Travis County will not be prosecuting women who seek abortions or um, medical professionals who provide abortions. That was Travis County District Attorney Jose Garza. That's in uh, the Houston area. We'll get a readout on what is happening across the country post-Roe with Connor Simmelsberger. He's the Director of Federal Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Now, the state where it all started, Mississippi, was one of a dozen states with trigger laws, which will outlaw most abortions in their states. That measure required that the state attorney general in Finch certify that Roe had been overturned. She did that yesterday, which allows the law to go into effect on July the 7th. However, the same clinic, the only clinic in the state that was the plaintiff in the Dobbs case, has filed suit once again. We'll be joined by the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, a little later on this edition of Washington Watch. Switching to a topic we've been tracking and frequently discussing, the Army continues to struggle to meet their recruiting goals, hitting only 40 percent of its recruiting goals this year. In a move that signals desperation, the Army has dropped its education requirements of a minimum of a high school diploma or even a GED. So why is the Army struggling? We'll talk with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, ranking member on the House Subcommittee on Military Readiness. And finally, in a somewhat related topic, why are more and more young men struggling to graduate from high school on time and go on to college and graduate? Why are more and more young men idle when opportunities for employment are abundant? Now, the answer is so simple, it may shock you. In fact, I'd like you to take a guess at what the cause may be. Text the word poll to 67742. That's 67742, the word poll, and you can give me your thoughts before we talk to Dr. Brad Wilcox later in the program. The website's TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there 
for you about upcoming events as well as information about our guest today. Now, tomorrow and Thursday, I'll be broadcasting live from the International Religious Freedom Summit here in Washington, D.C. I'll be joined tomorrow by the chief organizer and ambassador Sam Brownback. So be sure and tune in as we'll have several guests from the summit tomorrow on the program. Also, Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, I mentioned this yesterday, I'll be joining ADF's Mike Ferris, Pastor Gary Hamrick, for a special celebration of life. To find out more about that, you can go to TonyPerkins.com as well. Our word, from to, our word for today, coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 13. Be of good courage, and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. You know, the warriors of Israel were inspired with a transcendent cause, living for something greater than themselves, their families, and for God. There is more to life than living. We're to live with a purpose. To join our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. I also enjoy, I invite you to join me each morning, Monday through Friday, for a devotional based upon our daily reading plan. You can find that at TonyPerkins.com or on my Facebook page. All right, I can't stress enough how the battle for life is not only not over, it's intensifying, as is clear from the remarks and actions we're seeing coming from Democrats across the nation, as well as right here in D.C. You know, we celebrate the Dobbs decision, but we have got to roll up our sleeves and go to work. There is going to be so much work to be done. And we've got to go to the polls and vote. I mean, this is where we pray. We pray for the future of our country. We pray for those young women. We vote for pro-life uh, elected officials and candidates. And we stand for truth. With me now to talk about this push that we're seeing coming from the left and how Republicans are going to be pushing back is Senator Steve Daines of Montana. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Finance Committee, Energy and Natural Resources Committee. He is also the founder and the chair of the Senate Pro-Life Caucus. Senator Daines, welcome back to the program. Hey, I'm glad to join you, Tony. So what is your reaction to the response we're seeing from the president, the vice president, and Democrats across the land in the wake of the Dobbs decision? Tony, as I've been watching the program here before uh, you and I have a chance to chat, I'm just struck with how you know, we believe that life is sacred. We are building a culture of life. Everything I hear from the left is elevating abortion as if abortion is sacred. As we're fighting for life. We call it sacred. They are fighting for abortion as if abortion is sacred. It's the religion, Tony, sadly. Sadly, they worship. They worship abortion. And it, it, it's just a sad moment as I look at how dark uh, the country has become and how important it is that we're fighting back as light. This is, was a tremendous victory. I think many of us wondered, if, would we ever see this in our lifetime? And we saw it. It, it, it ends a historic injustice of you know, 63 million murdered babies. And this is a moment to celebrate. But, Tony, I could not agree with you more. Remember, these victories came by narrow margins. It goes back to 2014 when we won back the United States Senate. That's the year I was elected to the Senate. I was the first pro-life senator in 100 years to hold this seat. And then 2016, President Trump's elected. And then by the providence of God, by having the numbers in the Senate, having a Republican president, a pro-life president, President Trump, we were able to put those three new justices on the bench. And last week demonstrates the gravity of these elections and the consequence of elections and a wonderful victory. But now the fight only intensifies. It's going to get a lot tougher, not easier, as a result of what happened last week. Uh, Senator, I don't think what you're saying is an overstatement at all. I think you're absolutely right. To them, this is a religion. To them, this is a sacrament. I mean, just reading the press release from the 22 attorneys general, Democrats, uh, abortion is health care, period. Abortion care, reproductive freedom, abortion care. I mean, since when is taking a life health care? Since when is that advancing reproduction? I mean, reproduction is helping people have children, not kill children. 
And that's what we're talking about. I mean, they're so committed to this. It's not even they're actually now putting down California's putting out one hundred and twenty five million dollars to advance this. Well, we heard it from Secretary Becerra today. We've heard it from the administration. And here's their words. All options are on the table. When you look at what they are pushing forward now in terms of whether it's chemical abortions, whether it's tourism, federally funded tourism abortions, whether it's this crazy idea of setting up abortion clinics on federal lands. In fact, one Democrat senator the last 24 hours suggested we that they set up abortion clinics in national parks because their federal lands would somehow you know, be exempt from state jurisdiction. But this is crazy talk. It's desperation. But this is where they're at. Well, let this me, is why the fight, the fight we have in Washington is only going to intensify. Let me ask you about that, Senator, because th- we still have the Hyde provisions in law. How would they be able to set these up? I mean, they're talking about them on military bases. They're talking about the military doubling down on abortion. But Hyde is still in place when it comes to domestic spending for abortion. It is. So we're only hearing their ideas at the moment. Um, our counterattack on this and our protections for the unborn will be exactly that, the Hyde protections that do not allow taxpayer dollars to go towards abortions. And that ought to put a stop to some of this, frankly, crazy talk that we're hearing from the left. But keep in mind, Tony, they're going to go to any length possible when they say all options on the table. So we've got to be very vigilant and be on our, our very best, get our best thinkers, our best offense here as we continue to move forward here in protecting life. So the issue now goes to the states. Abortion is not outlawed. It goes to the states. The states have a chance to regulate it. We have over half the states that are ready or are doing that already. Um, But now you have the the Biden administration saying they're going to try to block the states. They're going to do what they can to stop the states. What other activities beside the Hyde Amendment that you just mentioned do you see Republicans pushing at the federal level? Well, first and foremost, Tony, let's let's keep in mind, while the Supreme Court made a very important ruling this past week, all the work that we did quietly over the course of the last four years under President Trump was getting circuit court judges, other federal judges, Republican governors, getting state judges, district judges on the bench that will look at their constitution and not legislate from the bench, and by doing so will protect life. So there'll be vigorous court battles. We will be continuing to make sure that we will have filibuster-proof caucuses here. It'll be mostly Republicans, virtually all Republicans. We won't have a single Democrat join us on this. It will make sure that we lock down these back doors, starting with the Hyde protections. But that's going to be our number one defense on what they're doing here, because that would prevent the federal government from using taxpayer dollars for abortion. But keep in mind, we've got a lot of improved, much better judges in the circuit courts as a result of four years of President Trump and a Republican Senate. Yes, we, uh, we can't forget that. Uh, that is critical uh, to restoring constitutional governance in our country. And it was a uh, tremendous gain that we had under the Trump administration. Uh, Senator Daines, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to, uh, to talk with us. Thanks, Tony. All right, take care. Senator Steve Daines, chairman of the Senate pro-life caucus. And, I, and, and there's other work to be done at the federal level as well. This doesn't mean that uh, the Congress will not be advancing pro-life legislation. I think you're going to actually see that accelerate. Well, coming up, we're going to take a closer look at what the states have been up to since the Dobbs decision came down last week. A lot of activity at the states, at the state level. So don't go away. We're going to come back with that after the break. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. 
When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, If you want to take my poll question, we're going to be talking about this a little bit later with Dr. Brad Wilcox. You know, why are, why are more and more young men struggling to graduate on time from high school and going to college and graduate? Why are they so idle? Why are so many of them idle when there's so many opportunities? What's, the, what's behind that? I, I don't know what you think, because I think the answer, it's so simple, but I think it might shock you. We're going to talk about it later, but take my poll question. Text the word poll to 67742. That's 67742, and we're going to discuss that a little bit later with Dr. Brad Wilcox. All right, contrary to what the unhinged left is saying following the historic Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court last Friday, there has not been a blanket ban on abortion in the United States. I just talked about that a few moments ago. It's, it's not a ban. It simply says this is a legislative issue that should be decided by the people. They didn't go as – they didn't you know, completely eliminate abortion. They overturned Roe and said this is, should be decided by the elected representatives. Well, the abortion issue has simply been, um, as I said, returned to the states, making state and local elections even more important. Already, we've seen state and local officials doubling down on their commitment to abortion. More than 80 elected prosecutors, including district attorneys in more than 10 states, have already expressed their intention to not enforce abortion bans. And as I played the clip earlier, the president, the president said the life issue will be on the ballot this November. He said Roe will be on the ballot. Hey, you know what? Abortion has been on the ballot since really 1973. We, we figured that out a long time ago. They're just now coming to that realization. But you've got to be prepared to now look through the pro-life lenses all the way down the ballot to every individual running for office. Joining me now to discuss what's happening at the state level post-row is Connor Simmelsberger. He's the Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be here on this post-row week here in D.C. Yeah, and congratulations. You're a new father, too. Yeah, I am. God's blessed me with a month of becoming a dad and at the end of the month seeing a great victory in the court. So, so blessed to be here. Yeah, you don't look too sleep deprived. (laughs) Not yet. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, you know, the battle now goes to the, to the state and local level. And you know what? It doesn't appear that the Democrats are too uh, bashful about what they're trying to do. 
No, not at all. Like you outlined, we're getting the assaults from the federal government. We heard in Biden's speech, and earlier today our uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services outlined his plan. We now have a full website, reproductivehealth.gov, to show people from our taxpayer dollars, government website, where to get abortions. Like you said, at the state level, too, uh, California does not like that Texas uh, can protect life from conception. And so they are poning up money, other states as well, to bring people out of state to their state to pay for abortions there way into the late trimesters of more than we've ever seen with their state taxpayer dollars. Okay, so we have about 13 states, if I'm not mistaken, that have trigger mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of those have already varying degrees of how they how and when they go into effect but we've already seen lawsuits from the abortion industry against some of those states, like my home state of Louisiana. We've had one filed yesterday in Mississippi. So what's the status on that? Yep. Yeah. So we have, like you said, those 13 states. And so far we have a lawsuit in Idaho from their Planned Parenthood, Mississippi, as you outlined, Louisiana, um, and Texas actually as well. And Texas is interesting. Uh, it was Whole Women's Health. You know, we know that name well. Uh, they filed a suit. And again, they were allowed to continue abortions, them specifically, those clinics in Texas. So it's continuing to play out. Most of this now at the state court level, right? We're used to hearing from the Supreme Court on federal laws. This is now a state Supreme Courts. And like you said, how important these local elections are. Many people aren't aware who their, who their state Supreme Court justices are, the makeup, how they get elected. And it's these state Supreme Courts that will be interpreting their own state constitutions on whether these laws can stand or not. So, Connor, kind of walk us through here quickly the, uh, the strongest pro-life states and, and what we see happening in those states. Yeah, what, what was great is pretty much an admission by the abortion industry, the Planned Parents, to say, yeah, we do abortions, way more than 3%. And many, even before the threat of law came into effect, said, we're going to stop doing abortions. And I think they got the message, even if there's an injunction like we've seen in Louisiana, those abortion clinics aren't necessarily protected from later enforcement down the road. Um, so, so far, we've seen some good signs, Alabama, others, and their attorney general um, have just come in strong and say, it's our duty and we're going to enforce this law. So it shows just how important your attorney general is, your governor, uh, your state legislature, of course, but these other offices that people maybe haven't paid much attention to just got a lot more important. Well, just like uh, local DAs and prosecutors who, as we saw in Travis County, which is uh, there in Houston, saying they will not enforce the law. Yeah, and so that's why Texas is a great example, right? And we've heard this from even their attorney general, um, because certain local DAs said, hey, we're not enforcing your full protections. Or, um, you know, while it's caught up in litigation, thank goodness they still have the Texas Heartbeat Act that they passed, which is the citizen's enforcement, because what that does is it still keeps those abortion clinics at bay, at least at six weeks, while the local enforcement maybe isn't complying with state law and it's caught up in litigation. That citizen's petition uh, or citizen's enforcement is coming in very effectively here in Texas to keep them at six weeks. I I wonder if you'll see it's going to get kind of complicated when you have the abortion tourism where they have pulling people across state lines. uh, But then you see some of these creative uh, legislative initiatives that allow citizens to take certain actions. I I wonder if you're going to see states ended up suing states uh, over the issue of abortion. Yeah, that's what it's setting up for you, Tony. You know, it's almost 20 or so states that want abortion on demand, paid for in your state. About 20 or so states say, we want to protect life at conception with very minimal exceptions, maybe for life of the mother. So that's really what it's setting up for, uh, unlike something we've seen for many, many years. But it's going to be creative approaches. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's what's great about these states. Each little individual state has its opportunity to find what works best for them. But it's far from over. Right. It's it's we just began, as we said, day one, the pro-life movement really is coming to its own on Friday, June 24, 2022. This is where the real work begins. Connor Simmelsberger, again, congratulations on the uh, the new baby. And uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, of course. We're just so happy to be in this post for America and here at FRC fighting for the unborn. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping in today. The work just begins. Not only is it uh, work at the ballot box, making sure we're electing pro-life members, whether it's Congress, state legislature, district attorney, governor, I mean, you name it. It's now at every level. But there's also another aspect of this, our churches. We've got to step up our work in terms of the care pregnancy centers, the adoption agencies. And, you know, with the decision yesterday on religious freedom, it's going to be easier for us to live out our faith in these areas. So I know there's going to be more litigation, I'm sure, of that. 
but we've got to stand for truth. This is a great time. America's been given a great opportunity. Let's not miss it. All right, coming up next, I'll be joined by the governor where it all started from, Governor of Mississippi. Tate Reeves is here next. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Also, if you've not visited the new Washington Stand, our new online news and commentary from a biblical perspective, I encourage you to do so. Go to WashingtonStand.com. Jackson's Jackson Women's Health Organization may have lost their case at the Supreme Court, but they're not missing a beat when it comes to fighting the state of Mississippi to keep their abortion operation alive. Yesterday, shortly after Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Finch certified the state's trigger law banning abortion, the abortion clinic, the only one in the state, filed a new lawsuit to prevent Mississippi from enforcing the trigger law, which is set to go into effect July the 7th. So what's ahead for the state that gave us the Dobbs case? Well, no doubt, I feel very confident that the governor, along with the legislature, will fight to protect life. And here now joining us is the governor of Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, good to see you. You're looking sharp in that seersucker suit. Well, thank you. It's bringing the taste of the South up here to, uh, to D.C., <laughs> so I, I assume, and I don't think anyone would question the fact that Mississippi is going to fight this once again as, you, as you're going to be back in court. Well, well there's no doubt. As, as you know, the, the attorney general under our trigger law, the attorney general has the responsibility to um, certify that Roe v. Wade has, in fact, been overturned. She did so yesterday morning, just as we had anticipated and immediately the Jackson Women's Health Organization, yes, that very same uh, abortion clinic that, that was the heart of the Dobbs case, uh, sued us in state court claiming a state right to an abortion. Uh, I have the utmost confidence that the attorney general is going to defend that uh, with all of our might, and uh, we will ultimately win. And I just encourage our state Supreme Court to do so sooner rather than later, the quicker the better. Let me let me step back for just a moment, Governor. I mean, you, your state, you were leading the way on the Dobbs case. Uh, your reaction as soon as you got the word, what 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 crossed your mind? Well, I was ecstatic. I was so encouraged that after nearly fifty years of pro life activists fighting for that outcome, uh, that we were able to lead the way. That Mississippi was able to lead the way, and quite frankly. 
Uh, I had never been prouder to be a Mississippian because while we as elected officials had passed legislation and we were able to defend it in court, the reality is we were able to do so because Mississippians are a God-fearing people and we had the support of our constituents to do so. And so uh, it, it just really made me proud to be a Mississippian and and um, and, and I, I can't thank the people of Mississippi enough to give us that strength um, knowing that they had our back the whole time. So, Governor, have you been talking to some of your colleagues in other states that are looking at how they, too, can advance the culture of life in their states? We have. We've had multiple conversations with a number of uh, governors and and other legislative leaders about uh, their steps. As you know, there's uh, almost 20 states that that have a trigger law of some sort. And and so a number of things have to happen uh, here uh, in the next few weeks uh, to enact those trigger laws. There's a lot of a lot of states that are talking about um, and, and hearing us talk about creating that culture of life so that we talk about the next step of the pro-life movement. You and I have had that conversation many times in the past and will continue to do so. Um, and that is making sure that, that we can find a forever home for every baby uh, that is born in our state and across the nation, because there are people in the faith community and there are people in our state and across America that love every single expected mother and love every single baby, just as uh, Jesus has taught us to do. And I think that actually got a little easier yesterday with the religious freedom case with Coach Kennedy, that we'll have organizations able to operate according to their faith and do just what you just described, Governor. I, I want to ask you this question before we run out of time. The, the president, in lamenting the overturn of Roe, said Roe will be on the ballot this fall. Uh, what do you say to that? Well, what I would tell you, Tony, is I believe in my heart that uh, the the majority of American people uh, believe that there should be reasonable restrictions on abortions across uh, America. The fact is, in states like California and New York, their abortion laws uh, are more like North Korea and China, and they're trying to make them even less restrictive and, and, and quite frankly, going even further and encouraging uh, folks from other states to come in their state so they can abort their babies. Um, I don't think that's where the American public is. Uh, I believe that um, I, I believe that uh, we're going to see uh, a very strong turnout in the November elections. And and I think that um, many of those that are, that are concerned that that's not going to be the case um, are just simply wrong. But I'll also tell you, Tony, it's never been about politics to me. It's not about winning the next election. It's about doing God's will and, and, and making sure that we're doing what's right. The politics will work itself out in the long term. And, and however that uh, comes down, so be it. But I was elected to do the right thing for my constituents. And so we'll see what the political implications are or are not. Well, uh, Governor, I tell you what, I'm praying for Mississippi, Louisiana, other states that are taking bold pro-life stands that God would bless those states. And it would be a illustration, a manifestation to the nation of the blessing of God that comes upon a state that will stand for life. And I believe it's going to be a witness to the rest of the nation. And I appreciate you uh, leading the way there in Mississippi. Thanks, Tony. All right. Always great to talk with you, Governor. Governor Tate Reeves of Mississippi. And I would encourage you to join us in that prayer. Uh, I, I am praying that. In fact, I've instructed uh, our, our intercessory prayer team to be praying that God would truly bless those states that have taken a stand for life. Bless their finances. Bless everything about them so that it speaks to the rest of the nation. All right, don't go away. On the other side of the break, the Army struggling, struggling to meet recruitment numbers. Why? We're going to talk about that next. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. 
They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Very quickly, if you'd still like to take the poll uh, question on why so many young men are idle and so many opportunities are available. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Dr. Brad Wilcox, text the word poll to 67742 and you can get in on the poll. All right. As we've noted on past programs, the U.S. military is having recruitment problems, a crisis, actually. And the Department of Defense is scrambling for solutions, resorting to using Chinese-owned TikTok. And more recently, the Army actually tossing out its high school diploma, or GED, requirements. But maybe military leaders should be looking at something else in terms of why they're struggling to get men and women to join the military. With me now to talk about this is Congressman Mike Waltz. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, decorated special forces officer. He actually is the ranking member on the Military Readiness Subcommittee. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Florida. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. Yeah, hey, good to be with you, Tony, and thanks for covering this. It's it's really um, approaching some some crisis levels here. I have to tell you, I was shocked when I read this this morning that, I mean, this we haven't seen this since Vietnam, that they're actually throwing out the educational requirements of, of just even having a GED. What do you make of this? Yeah, it's, this is, this has been a crisis in the, in the making for some time. And I think it really points to a, a broader deterioration of, of our, of our young people and our youth. Uh, in our education system in the United States and a deterioration of, of, of family and, and of values. So to start out with, Tony, um, the, the military now is pulling from a very limited pool. Uh, at 70 to 75 percent of young people between 18 and 24 don't meet the basic requirements for the military, either literally they're too overweight uh, they can't meet the very basic minimum physical requirements, or they have too much of a criminal history, uh, or they have some other type of issue that precludes them from even, be, even being eligible. So to start out, they're only pulling from about 25 percent of the eligible population. And then in recent years, uh, it's it's been exacerbated, one, um, by the government literally paying people not to work. 
uh, in California just issued yet another stimulus check of $1,000 per person. I mean, we're seeing that issue across all the businesses uh, that I come across in Florida. They literally just can't find people who want to work and get their hands dirty and go do hard stuff. Um, and then the second issue uh, is, I mean, they're layering on top of that. They're kicking people out who do want to stay uh, for COVID vaccines. So uh, we, we just had the, the chief of the Navy testify they're going to kick out 2,000 sailors, uh, the Marines, another 1,000 Marines, the Army, a brigade's worth uh, for, this, for this COVID vaccine, uh, yet they can't meet their recruiting goals. So this is just a, it's a witch's brew of, of a number of things, longstanding societal issues, bad decisions on the part of our leadership today. Uh, they haven't had access into high schools because so many of them were shut down in the last few years, I would argue unnecessarily. Uh, and, uh, in, and now we are where we are, where the military is actually having to cut its overall size because they can't fill their ranks. All right. Congressman Waltz, I, I mean, this is you, you've laid out, diagnosed the problem pretty, uh, a, I mean, accurately. And so we, we have this recruiting deficit. I mean, they've only been the army has only been able to make 40 percent of its recruitment goals. But yet at the same time, you just talked about how they're booting people out, uh, an entire brigade almost in the army for not getting the vaccine. To me, to me, this almost looks intentional that we're trying to break down our military and weaken our military. Well, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily prescribe that motive on our military leaders, uh, Tony. But I have to tell you, there are many members of the left who certainly don't mind. Um, but some I, of these decisions uh, are being driven fight, by the politicians. Oh, oh, that's right. Well, and you're absolutely right. And I have to fight them for every, uh, you know, for every defense dollar that we get, for every recruiting dollar, and many of them, especially at the local level. And in many uh, communities, won't let recruiters into their high schools and won't let recruiters actually access the kids to kind of lay out a brighter future. And you know uh, that the military has been a pathway out of poverty, has been a pathway out of underserved neighborhoods, has been, uh, you know, uh, a pathway to really set the stage for future um, generations to truly succeed. I mean, it certainly did for me. My, My father and grandfather were both. Uh, Navy uh, chiefs. I was the first in my family to go to college and to become an officer. So it, this it, this has a lot of, uh, I think will have a lot of spillover effects aside from just purely uh, a national security standpoint. And it's it's been bad decision after bad decision. But I do think that have exacerbated some very serious and concerning underlying societal issues yeah. uh, that, that we could probably spend the rest of the hour diagnosing. Well, and, and I'm actually going to be turning to that in just a moment with uh, Dr. Brad Wilcox, because I think you're absolutely right. There are some underlying issues here that we're seeing spill spilling over into the broader uh, culture. Uh, Congressman Waltz, this is an issue we're going to continue to talk about, especially as the, the Republicans move toward regaining the majority, because our military is going to have to be rebuilt. Well, and Tony, and just one more thing of those that remain this garbage that they're teaching them in terms of this wokeness in our military academies, CRT, uh, you know, focusing on on Pride Month rather than rather than how to shoot, move and communicate. Right. When we get in charge, that stuff's going to stop. Well, and it can't happen soon enough. Uh, Congressman Mike Waltz, always great to talk with you, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thank you, Johnny. All right. Uh, very quickly, before I bring in my next guest, I want to go back to the uh, to the poll question that I asked you about, because several of you, many of you, a lot of you uh, responded to that uh, poll question. Why are more and more young men idle when opportunities for employment about are abundant? I mean, here we have the military and Mike was absolutely right. It is a great way for young men to get a grip on life and move out of poverty, get a skill set. Uh, go on to success. I mean, I came right out of high school, learned a lot from the Marine Corps, but yet we're seeing more and more young men idle. And here were the opportun- here were the options for that poll question. Missing opportunities, poverty, marginalizing disabilities, or racial disparities. I'm going to tell you, we got some smart, smart listeners because almost 90% of you nailed it. It is missing 
fathers. With me now to, uh, to talk about this, Professor Brad Wilcox, director of the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, uh, the Future of Freedom Fellow at the Institute of Family Studies and non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Dr. Wilcox, welcome back to the program. It's going to be with you uh, tonight. I, I read your report and uh, actually was uh, brought back a lot of memories reading. You quoted uh, uh, David uh, Pompano at the beginning of the uh, of your study, and, and I used his research back in 1996 when I authored the nation's first covenant marriage law. The situation um, in terms of the structure of the family and fatherlessness has only gotten worse over the last 25 years. Yeah, Tony, we haven't really learned the lessons yet, I think, that dads are really important and that marriage is an institution that connects men to their children. So we're we're still, I think, although to be to be honest, we're kind of in a holding pattern. It hasn't gotten a lot worse since the 1990s, but certainly not gotten any better. So your findings, and I think it's very fascinating because right now you go go anywhere and you talk to a, a business owner or you drive past a, a fast food restaurant, people are pleading for people to come to work. I mean, I've never seen it where fast food, fast food restaurants or any place, quite frankly, offering signing bonuses to come to work. But yet we have this large population of young men in their prime that are completely idle. What's behind that? Yeah, Tony, you're right. I've been talking to some local business owners here in Central Virginia, and they have been articulating a concern, like you can't get young men to come and show up on time and, you know, basically come in without any problems on the home front, all that kind of stuff. And what we're seeing in this new research is that one of the big factors that's driving this increase in young male idleness, you know, not not being kind of connected to the labor force is growing up without a father. So we see is that uh, young men who are growing up without a dad are about 70% more likely to be idle, not working, you know, in their mid 20s compared to young men we're growing up with a father uh, in the household. So that's one of the, I think, the big factors here that, you know, is playing out right now. So the, the, the evidence, Dr. Wilcox would suggest, that a, a father's not just nice to have, it's a, essential, it's foundational, especially for young men to be successful, both educationally and when they move into the uh, work environment. Yeah, I think having a father in the household is is important for kind of giving a sort of a, you know, a symbol to a young man who's, you know, adolescent, young adult, kind of sees his own dad kind of getting up in the morning, getting to work on time, you know, providing an example in that way. I think having a dad in the household is important financially because dads are much more likely to devote their money to their kids and help their their kids either go to, you know, trade school or go to college and flourish in those arenas and then go on and get a job. Um, and then just sort of having the, you know, the social and emotional support of a father is crucial, I think, in encouraging young men to, uh, to navigate the challenges of adolescence and young adulthood successfully. By contrast, young men who don't have a father in the household kind of giving good example and, and kind of checking in with them and, and challenging them to embrace life's opportunities are much more likely to sort of drift towards, you know, Game Boys, Xboxes, um, vaping, smoking marijuana. I mean, you, you can sort of fill in the blanks there. And those young men have obviously a lot of difficulty um, then really kind of plugging into to the local labor force. So, Dr. Wilcox, when we look at, you know, some of the recent things that have been occurring where we're seeing more and more young men being violent, acting out with violence, um, is there a connection there when it comes to having a father in the home, growing up with a father in the home, and violent behavior? Yeah, so what we see in the research is that there's, you know, basically a third increase in risk of being arrested in our recent report that we released, um, you know, about two weeks ago on fatherhood. And uh, there's sort of double the risk of being incarcerated, you know, spending some time in jail or in prison by the time you turn 30, if you're raised in a home without your dad. Um, and then there's just a whole body of research more generally showing a strong connection between um, absent fathers and unsafe neighborhoods, going back to the work of Robert Sampson at Harvard University, um, showing that it was one of the, the top predictors of urban violence across uh, the United States. We're actually doing a new report on that whole issue uh, later this fall. We'll be kind of revisiting the data to look at sort of the neighborhood story. 
But again, the bottom line here is that when dads are absent, our streets are a lot less safer across the country. So are there are there policy prescriptions here? I mean, obviously, this is a call to fathers to recognize they have a, a responsibility and their presence in the lives of their children is absolutely critical. But are there some policy prescriptions that you're advocating? Sure. I think one thing we could do is address a lot of the welfare penalties um, that attend to marriage and things like, you know, Medicaid, for instance, through income tax credit. So what happens practically for a lot of working class couples with kids is they kind of figure out it makes more sense for them just to cohabit and have mom apply for, say, Medicaid, for instance, rather than to marry. I was speaking to a local couple here in Virginia a while ago and you know, nice couple, beautiful two daughters, you know, traditional in many respects, but they weren't married. I was kind of probing, like, what's going on here? And they said, well, actually, we had, you know, we sat down on the kitchen table and realized that we'd lose access to healthcare insurance for the mom and the two daughters, uh, which they were getting through Medicaid um, if one hadn't get, and got married. So that's, I think, one thing we could address is that, that marriage penalty. Uh, I think another thing we could think about is sort of actually targeting going forward are programs based upon marital status. So things like, for instance, you know, Medicaid, things like their income tax credit, you know, for instance. And my thinking here is really shaped by the military, which you were just touching on a moment ago in, in the broadcast. We see in the military is that there's just a much higher rate of marriage in the military, uh, including among working class and adults in the military than there is among the civilian population. And that's in large part, I think, because the military targets benefits towards uh, married couples and does not give them towards cohabiting couples. Right. So, you know, it's healthcare or, you know, housing. Um, if you're cohabiting, you can't get that, you know, that benefit in the military. So you need to sort of start thinking about how we could kind of reform a, a lot of our benefits to sort of uh, do things kind of the military way. And I think that would help to sort of reinforce the economic and, and the normative, you know, importance of marriage um, for a lot of uh, uh, particularly working class Americans who've seen the biggest erosion in marriage in the last, you know, 40 years or so. Yeah, that's really good. I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, having been in the Marine Corps, I, I was married once I was already in and I got married. And if you're, if you're married, you actually get additional benefits. So it, it actually is beneficial if you're married. You get, uh, you know, BAQ for your wife. You get, uh, you know, the housing and the, and the food allo- allocations for for your spouse and, and uh, children. So it is... Uh, you're right. It's a different model. I hadn't thought about that in terms of application to uh, our policy. Dr. Wilcox, we're out of time, but always great to see you and always fascinated in your work. Very important stuff. Appreciate the time, Tony. Have a good night. All right. Uh, to find out more about this research, you can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. It's also why we're doing our Stand Courageous Men's Conferences. You know, it's not just being physically present. I mean, that's important, absolutely important. But we have a lot of men who are at home physically, but emotionally, they're gone. And our children, especially our sons, need our active engagement. Men, there's nothing greater that you can do in life than to invest in your children and in your family. So anyway, I want to encourage you to uh, stay tuned to, for, uh, for our next Stand Courageous Men's Conference. We've got one coming up. Uh, in Houston and in Georgia in the months ahead. So uh, stay tuned for that. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.